Welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, the radio chick, Annie Ubellis. Join Annie on Tuesdays and Fridays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time with an open chat room full of her regulars. And yes, you can even call in. Call 917-889-3675. That's 917-889-3675 to be a part of the action on the phone line. Not able to listen live? Not a problem. You can always catch Annie, the radio chick, and Southern Sense Talk Radio podcast in archives at southern-sense.com. So sit back, relax, and enjoy Southern Sense the right way. Listen, guys, I got something special just for my listeners. If you follow me, you know I usually don't hawk products. I stick to the issues important to you and me, but I think I can't keep this to myself. You may want to check this out and get in on the ground floor before everyone else jumps on the bandwagon. Now, this is just for you, my listeners. I joined up with Team Earth Water. Earth Water is a company that is faith-based and patriotic. Earth Water is an amazing water. It will soon be the rage of the nation and is going worldwide. It has over 70 antioxidants and minerals. It's good, trust me. I already sleep better. I dropped one of my prescriptions, and I'm possibly looking to maybe drop another one soon. So ask yourself, do you want to make a few extra bucks on the side while getting healthier? (laughs) Who doesn't? So if so, check out the Earth Water link on my homepage at Southern Sense. That's the name of the show. Put a dash in the middle southern-sense.com. Who doesn't want to make some easy money? You'll earn a 10% commission on what you sell, and they even set up a web page for you to sell from. How easier can that be? Every time a customer returns to your page and buys, boom, you just earned an easy 10% commission. Sign up now. Buy at least a case. And let me know what you think just by going to my webpage. That's the name of the show, Southern Sense. Put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. They offer four tiers for affiliates, from one case to 16 cases. I bought four cases to start, and boy, am I hooked on the water. Simply go to my webpage, click on the Earth Water link on the page, and join Team Earth Water. Go to Southern Sense and become a member of my site. And you'll also be entered to win the latest book offer if you become a member of my site. That's the name of the show, Southern Sense. Put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. Check it out. I know you'll be pleased. All right. You're here listening to Southern Sense live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, High Plains, Daily News, Kinetic High Five, The Fix FM out of Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, I'm your hostess with the most, just the radio chick, Annie, along with my debonair and erudite co-host, Curtis C.S. Bennett. Curtis, we got an exciting show on. I want to say hi to everyone that's popping up in the different chat rooms. I'm up live on YouTube and Facebook also. So we've got a lot to do and a lot to talk about, Curtis. Yeah, and um, 
seems like our topic is going to be the climate. So hopefully I can get an idea of how many hurricanes we're going to have this hurricane season in Florida. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, we were supposed to have Doug Giles, but he had to cancel because he's traveling. Um, and then we went and we're supposed to have Gregory Wrightstone return, uh, but he's flying at this moment as we speak. So instead, we ended up with bringing back Tom Harris. Tom Harris works with Tim Ball in the... Um, what the heck is that called? The International Climate Science Coalition. That's going to be the first part of the show. And then the second half, Anne Meccolini is going to be, I probably just pronounced her last name incorrectly, but she's married to Phil McAleer. Uh We've had Anne on several times before. She, there was the movie Gosnell, then the play Ferguson. Uh, there's a whole lot that got out there. But they have a new play based upon Chevron and a lawsuit down in Ecuador dealing with climate change and polluting the environment. Oh, it's, it's excellent. So we're going to have them on the second half. But those listening in know that we start off each and every show with the dedication to a fallen hero. And today's dedication is going to go out to Army Private First Class Hanson B. Kirkpatrick. He was killed on July 2017 while serving during Operation Freedom's Sentinel in Helmand Province, Afghanistan. And this is MustReadAlaska.com. The author is Suzanne Downing. And it reads, Somewhere in Wasilla, Alaska, there are a mom and dad whose brave son went off to war in January and will return in a flagged draped casket. Tonight their hearts are broken as they leave Alaska to be present when the son's remains return to the U.S. Private First Class Hanson Kirkpatrick was the seventh U.S. soldier killed in Afghanistan this year in the war against terrorism that seems to never end. U.S. troops have rotated through the war-torn country for the past 15 years, and nearly 1,000 American and British military personnel have died in this region. Kirkpatrick was killed while fighting the Taliban alongside Afghanistan forces in Helmut province, Pentagon officials said. Helmut is a particularly restive area of southern Afghanistan. Kirkpatrick appears to be the first American soldier to die in the province this year. He was hit by indirect mortar attack. Typically, that involves exploding shells or rocket rounds. Two other soldiers were injured in attack during the operation, said Navy Captain Jeff Davis a Pentagon spokesman, who said the injuries were not believed to be life-threatening. Kirkpatrick was with the Fort Bliss-based 1st Battalion, 36th Infantry Regiment, 1st Striker Brigade Combat Team, 1st Armored Division. He was a mortarman who joined in June of 2016, according to Army Major James C. Bithorn, an officer with the 1st Army, uh, Armored Division's 1st Brigade. He described Kirkpatrick as a caring, disciplined, and intelligent young soldier. One person he served with wrote on Facebook that Kirkpatrick was a great storyteller who used to regale his fellow soldiers with tales from Alaska. Kirkpatrick had attended a high school named for a master storyteller, Robert Service High School in Anchorage. After graduation, Kirkpatrick enlisted and he and 1,500 other soldiers deployed to Afghanistan to serve in nine-month rotations. The brigade soldiers 
embed in various regions, some working alongside U.S. Marines and Afghan forces fighting the Taliban. And it is most strident wing ISIS or the Islamic State. The area has seen heavy fighting in recent weeks as Taliban forces have pushed for control of an area of intense opium poppy, which is a major source of funding for the Taliban and is a primary supply of opium for the global trade. We will keep Kirkpatrick's family in our thoughts and prayers as we reflect on the sacrifice he and others have made to secure our freedoms and help make Afghanistan a better place. Army General John Nicholson, the top U.S. commander in Afghanistan, said in a prepared statement. For the parents and siblings of Private First Class Henson Kirkpatrick, the 4th of July will not be the same next year or the years that follow. This family became a gold star family on July 3rd, 2017. A sad designation, a somber honor that reminds us of their sacrifice for our nation. Our hearts go out to the family, friends, and fellow soldiers of Private First Class Henson Kirkpatrick. And this was found on heavy.com, written by Jessica McBride. The mother of Henson Kirkpatrick, a 19-year-old U.S. soldier from Alaska who is the latest American casualty in Afghanistan, urged people to make a difference in her son's memory in an emotional post on July 4th. In a poignant Facebook post on American Independence Day, Angel Norquist wrote in part, Please seriously stop. Take a moment. Realize that real actual blood dropped on a battlefield for you. You can read her moving post. It goes on to say, Kirkpatrick's mother urged mourners to go make a difference in her son's name instead of telling her they were sorry. She wrote on Facebook on Independence Day, please seriously stop. Take a moment. Realize that the real actual blood dropped on the battlefield for you. That's what the red symbolizes on our flag. My son just died today, July 3rd, over on some nasty dry battlefield in a far off land. His life was cut short at only 19. Stop. And really give thanks for all those who give and continue to give us our freedoms so we can easily take for freaking granted. No, do not comment and do not say how sorry you are. I don't care. Actions speak louder than words. So go make a difference. Kirkpatrick was also remembered by fellow service members. One recalled the loving storytelling awesome character he was. We will miss you, Hanson Kirkpatrick. I will never forget the late night stories at Fort Benning and the Alaskan tales we always heard from you. Today's show is dedicated to Private First Class Hanson B. Kirkpatrick. It is also dedicated to all the brave men and women out there who serve in our military from the birth of this nation through today and into the future. We dedicate this song by Todd Allen Harrington, My Name is America. And we also dedicate it to all the brave men and women that serve as first responders, be they law enforcement, firefighters, or EMS. May God bless each and every one of them.
the grip of oppression I fought for my liberty I paid with the blood of my people Freedom has never been free Now my door's always open
All right, and we're back. You're here listening to Southern Sense here on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, High Plains, Daily News, Kinetic Hi-Fi, The Fix FM, out of Charleston, South Carolina, up on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, Facebook, all the heck with it. You know what I'm going to say. Go to the name of the show, Southern Sense, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. I'm your hostess with the mostest, the radio chick, Annie, along with my co-host, Curtis C.S. Bennett. And Curtis, we've got our first guest in on the line. Shall we bring our first victim in? <laughs> all right. Let's bring him on. Let's bring him on. Let's welcome Tom Harris. He's the executive director of the International Climate Science Coalition. Welcome back, Tom. It's always fun to have you on. Yeah, nice to talk to you, Annie. I I had one of your cohorts on just a little while ago. I had Tim Ball on, and he works with you over at the coalition. That's right. Yeah, Yeah, Dr. Ball is a very brave character. Yeah, he, he he braved my show. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, there is so much going on. Uh, later on the show, we're going to have Film and Ann McAleer on. They've got a, a new play out that is raising a lot of eyebrows out in San Francisco. Figures the liberal San Francisco called the eighteen billion dollar prize about the lawsuit Chevron, Chevron face down in Ecuador. Uh, we're going to be talking about them about that and the climate. Uh, change and the pollution scandals that were going on with that whole thing. But with you, there's so much more happening here at home, uh, and people are still pushing for these carbon taxes, and yet they fail to realize that CO2 really isn't a pollutant. It has nothing to do with pollution at all. Yeah, that's exactly right. In fact, we're at one of the lowest levels of CO2, carbon dioxide, in Earth's history. If you actually look at the last half billion years, which is the longest period of time we can actually get a good record from the geological studies, what we see is that CO2 was as high as 1,100 to 1,200, 1,300% of today's level. Forget about this 40% rise that we've seen in the last century. That's trivial in comparison with what nature has done. Nature has given us 1,400% of today's level back around 440 million years ago. And at that time, we were stuck in the coldest period, uh, and that was called an ice house period, actually, much colder than even our recent ice ages. Well, aren't we in a mini ice age? Well, we're in an ice age in general, okay? We're in a period uh, called the interglacial, okay? In other words, the glaciers have retreated, but anytime there is permanent ice cover somewhere on the Earth, you know, on the top, top of mountains or Antarctica, that's considered an ice age. But within ice ages, you have warm interglacial periods, and we happen to be in one of those right now. You get typically 90,000 years of ice cover where it really goes down far south and covers parts of the northern United States that's a glacial and then you have about 10,000 years of interglacial so we're actually in a period where you know it's probably going to end fairly soon geologically speaking our our interglacial warm period has been a very nice period in comparison with other ones the weather's been very tranquil and it's been lasting for a long time so you know we're very fortunate that this is when we live uh, it's amazing because uh, we've had on, uh, as I said, uh, Dr. Tim Ball. We've also had uh, Gregory Wrightstone on. He's got the uh, climate uh, debunking book out called Inconvenient Facts. Um, and the work you do at your coalition is to put the facts out there. And I, it's funny because now suddenly some scientists are saying, wait a minute, these modules that they're using to argue for climate change are completely inaccurate. Matter of fact, uh, Punxsutawney Pete 
is more correct about the weather more times than these modules are. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, if you go back to, say, 1990 and you take the computer models and you plug in the conditions that existed in 1990, you do not get today's conditions. So what happens is the models overwarm. They, they predict warming that is much greater than what actually happens. And yet that is the only basis of the climate scare, because the amount of warming we've had in the last century has been beneficial, something like one degree Celsius. That's been a good thing because it's taken us out of the Little Ice Age, a period when we had more extreme weather and you know more famine and, and crop failures so this small amount of warming that's happened since the late 1800s has been a good thing and certainly nothing to be alarmed about the whole climate scare though is based on the idea that they can forecast future climate change decades even centuries in the future and they say that we will cause dangerous global warming but that's all a hypothesis based on the computer models none of which work or virtually none of them I mean the bottom line is if you draw a line and many scientists Scientists do this to show you what the temperature, uh, generally speaking, of the Earth has done, and then you show all the computer models. You find virtually every model forecasts much warmer than is happening. So how can you use that then to forecast the future? It makes no sense. And and as a result, though, because the left especially are believing these models are good forecasters, we're spending over one billion U.S. dollars a day on climate finance. And that's happening at a, at a time when, you know, real people around the world need help uh, adapting to natural climate change sometimes, but of course they need help building wells and all sorts of things. But we're putting it all on what might happen 50, 100 years in the future. So it, it really doesn't make any sense. You know, it, it's funny because uh, between the, the book that Dr. Bell wrote and the book that uh, Gregory Wrightstone wrote, the facts are really uh, amazing because it shows that at the time Christ walked the earth, we were far warmer than we are now. So everyone is freaking out about us getting warmer when actually it's beneficial for us. And the more we oh, increase yeah. CO2, the more we can grow fruit and vegetables. But this is where I find it really amazing is that they're now coming up with this scare that, oh, the food that you're growing because of the increased, increased CO2 is not as healthy, is not as nutritious. Where the <laughs> heck is this coming from? Uh, that doesn't make any sense because many of today's plants actually evolved at a time when CO2 was much higher. And, and of course, that's why they pump CO2 into greenhouses when you get, you know, as a result, you get much greater growth and the plants grow with less water, too. So there's double benefits to increasing CO2. Craig Itso, uh, for the Center for the Study of Carbon Dioxide in Tampa, Arizona, he's actually a specialist on what impact does CO2 have on agriculture? And he says there's been a tremendous crop increase, a big yield increase over the last few decades because of the fact that we've seen CO2 rise. And this will continue. If we want to feed the billions of people that have yet to be born, then we should want to have CO2 rise because that increases crop productivity. No question about it. Well, we have a question in the chat room from Vorp, and he asks, what are we going to do with these scientists and science institutions that are attempting to panic us, how do we expose them? 
Well, the best thing is to use what we call is climate realism. In other words, we say, instead of looking at your computer models, let's look at the real data. Let's look at what extreme weather did, for example, over the last 150 years. And we direct people to things like the extreme weather database of the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. People can go to the NOAA.gov website, and they can see when all the state records were set for every one of the 50 states, things like highest temperature, lowest temperature, most snowfall, most rain, all that sort of thing. They keep track of that every year now for since the late 1800s and what you see is that there's almost no records being set at all now in fact in the whole of 2017 and remember there's 50 states and each state has at least five records that they're keeping track of um, in the whole of 2017 there was only one record set and that was for the strongest wind gust in california Okay, that was the only record. And in 2016, there were no records. 2015, there were no records. You have to go back to the 1930s to find when many records were being set every year. So that kind of thing, we call that climate realism. Look at what really happened. And that is the best database in the world. I mean, it's not the whole planet, but it's indicative of what's going on on the Earth as a whole. And what we see is that extreme weather has actually been decreasing. It, wow. it kind of reminds me of a courtroom drama where you have, like, expert witnesses, and, and each expert is supporting the, the side of, you know, the people who hired them. And I, I get into discussions about climate, you know, this climate change, and um, those on the left, they will come up with, they will come up with all kind of data and and studies that show that the, the earth is getting warm. And then, you know, I explain to them facts like you just said, you know, NOAA, this information from NOAA. So how can the layman, the, the ordinary Joe Blow, disseminate what is true and what's not true, you know? Yeah, I, I think a good answer for the ordinary person is to say simply, look, how good are we at forecasting next week's weather? And, of course, the answer is we're pretty poor. Now, climate is a, con con a sort of a, uh, a combination of weather that's spread over many years and over the whole planet. And so, indeed, if you can't forecast next week's weather, how do you think you can forecast climate in the year 2050? Because fundamentally, you know, this is a big fluid dynamic system, and if we can't forecast how it moves in the short term, how do we forecast how it moves in the long term? I'm looking out the window right now, and I see a lot of clouds. And clouds are very influential on climate. I've heard it say that clouds have 10 times the influence of all human activity combined. And yet we cannot forecast whether in future years it will be more or less cloudy. We don't know that. And so if something that is 10 times more influential than us is unpredictable, then how on earth are we going to predict our little influence? I mean, I think that's the, that's the bottom line. That's true. I mean, one time we talked about the coming ice age. That's Back right. In the and, yeah, and actually there is a period of time where it might get quite a bit colder, not too far in the future. You see, the sun goes through all sorts of cycles. Some of them are 11 years, some of them are 150 years, and when they all hit rock bottom at the same time, you get what's called a grand solar minimum, okay? And at that time, typically the output of the sun is much less, so the earth gets colder. And they go back in time, and they can see other time periods when all these cycles hit rock bottom, and the earth was indeed quite cold. That is happening again around 2060, okay? 
And that's when they forecast we may actually be in for some dangerous cooling, especially on the part of countries like Canada, where you know only a couple of degrees drop and we'll lose our wheat crop. I mean, that kind of problem is, is far more serious than the possibility of a little bit of warming. So I think that's where we should be focusing on is getting ready for cooling, because if it warms... You know, places like Canada just adopt farming practices to the south of us, but there's nobody farming north of us. So <laughs> cooling is a lot more dangerous for, for a lot of North America. And, of course, the computer models forecast that most of the warming would occur at night in the winter in the very far uh, northern and southern latitudes. And I don't think there's very many animals that would care if it was minus 40 instead of minus 45. You know, so I mean, that's the sort of thing that we're talking about is we're talking about it warming most in the coldest regions at night in the winter, which I don't think is a particularly bad thing. <laughs> well, we're getting questions up in the chat room. Um, and Dr. Dr. Uh, Moore, who was one of the co-founders, Dr. Patrick Moore of the uh, Greenpeace, uh, before he passed away, you know, he was siding against the climate change. Did you work with him at all? This was, question was from Gary. Yeah, actually, Patrick Moore. I didn't realize he'd passed away. Um, it's uh, it's news I to me. It was but in regard- January. Oh wow, that's amazing. I I kind of doubt it because I, I actually wrong. quoted him. Yeah, I, I quoted him in an article only a couple of weeks ago. Um, but regardless, uh, and that was from an email from him, so I don't think he has passed away. But regardless, um, Patrick Moore and I were in Paris at the Paris Climate Conference, and he's, he's a wonderful man. I mean, he's very brave because he actually changed sides on some issues and recognized that Greenpeace was headed in the wrong direction. So, you know, he was speaking, and one of the things he sort of jokes about is he says, you know, they wanted to ban chlorine. I had to tell them, guys, you can't ban an element of the periodic table. I mean, chlorine is is part of nature. You know, you might want to restrict how you use it and stuff. But so he's got a great sense of humor, and uh, I hope he's very much alive. (laughs) Well, I must have come across a fake news item, so that's my bad, because I just pulled up uh, his bio. No, he's still very much alive. My bad. (laughs) I fell for fake news. It happens. (laughs) Patrick Moore is Uh, an ideal person to be talking about this because he was at the origin of the environmental movement. And so for him to say that they're headed in the wrong direction, that's that's pretty significant. Right, absolutely. Uh, Now, Vorp has a second question. He wants to know where you stand on the subject of chemtrails and weather manipulation. Now, we knew that they've been trying to manipulate the the weather for, for, this is not something brand new. As far back, I believe in World War I, they were trying to find some way to manipulate the weather. Where's your stance on this? It's not something that I really know much about, so I'd better pass on that question. I know there's a lot of controversy. I know that Dr. Ball probably would uh, have a lot to say, but I better not extend myself because I don't know a lot about it, except that there's a lot of controversy. <laughs> <laughs> now, you had mentioned uh, if it gets colder, the loss of farming in um in Canada, but one of the other things I saw on your website where you were also talking about uh, the shutting down of clean coal energy, uh, mm-hmm. the destruction of major industries by these people that are climate gate believers um, that, that believe that we are killing the world, we're polluting everything, we can't do anything right, man is destructive. They're shooting yeah, the very it's interesting that, in the foot. Yeah, there, there used to be this theory of the fragile earth uh, you know, uh, paradigm. 
But what I'm seeing more is people are starting to talk about, Patrick Michaels especially, the Cato Institute in Washington, they're talking about the robust Earth um, paradigm. Okay, The Earth is very robust. It's been able to withstand all sorts of things in the past, a lot more damaging than a bit of plastic. you know. <laughs> and yet they made the Earth Day Network uh, focus this year on stopping plastic pollution, which is a bit silly because plastic is inert. It's not a pollutant. It's, it can be litter if you throw it around, but it certainly isn't poison, and yet they were treating it as if it was. Uh, so that's just another extension, I think, of the global warming movement because, after all, they use hydrocarbons to make plastics. So if you can go after the products of uh, natural gas and coal, then you know, you're helping to, to work against the fossil fuel sources in, indirectly. So, and it's interesting because coming up on June 5th is World Environment Day, the United Nations, and they too have chosen to beat plastic pollution, I think is their logo, uh, but it's not pollution. I think that's the point that people have to realize. Uh, you know, your PVC card, that, your credit card, it's not toxic. It's, it's inert. <laughs> yeah, because right now I think California is looking to ban plastic straws, and I think New York City was trying to do the same thing. It's gotten so ridiculous. I mean, here, even in South Carolina, my county has tried to ban plastic shopping bags. You know, and my husband and I are looking around, it's like just about everything has some sort of a petrochemical or plastic to it, you know, mm -hmm. in, in your house, everywhere around you. So if you do that, what are you going to use to make cars, to make your yeah. cell phones, to make your computers? You know, it's, it's, it's gotten too far left, and we've got to bring a little common sense back. Uh, and I'm going to get back over to the CO2 uh, because one of the things that Canada was thinking of doing was putting CO2 in underground storage. Now, that's not yeah. a good idea. Why? Because it could leak out, and it's heavier than air, so it would form a big bubble against the surface, and any plants or, or any animals, the plants would love it, but the animals and humans, if you're stuck in a CO2 bubble, you basically die because it replaces the oxygen. And in fact, there was an example in the Cameroons, I believe it was in Africa, people can look it up on the internet, um, where there was a natural CO2 release that came from Lake, I believe it was Lake Lagos, and the CO2 bubble came out of the lake and it rolled down the countryside. It's invisible, nobody knew why, but people were falling dead all over the place, animals and cows and, and people. And one guy he panicked, he jumped on his motorcycle, and he drove frantically. And fortunately, he drove in the right direction, so he survived. But the thing they couldn't understand is what was happening. All these people, and they couldn't smell it, couldn't see it. Because it, CO2 is not poison, but it's heavier than air, so it replaces the oxygen. And so that's why, you know, one of the reasons why you don't want to stuff it underground. Because if it does leak out, and you're anywhere nearby, you're in trouble. Wow. And some of the crazy ideas they do come up with. <laughs> it's absolutely amazing. Jeez. And now uh, Echo Watch, I was going on to their website to see what those people were up with. And one of the things they're trying to do is stop any use of fossil fuel. But then again, I come back to the petrochemicals that's in every single thing we use today. You know, tell yeah. a woman she's not going to have any makeup. So every time I hear someone about, you know, ban fossil fuels, I, I just wonder what planet are they living on? What do you want to go back to the Stone Age? Yeah, and what are you going to use animal skins and, you know, I mean, what are you going to hold your food in? I mean, 
plastics have been a boon for sanitation and health. I mean, they're fantastic for that purpose. And, you know, if we go back to times in the past before we had plastic, it was more difficult to keep your food clean and, and airtight. I mean, they are a really miracle material, that's for sure. If you actually look up and see how plastics are made, it's, it's, it's intriguing. It's, it's very complicated, but uh, they're very, very valuable. Some people are talking about, some environmentalists are talking about using biofuels to make plastic, and that's possible. But then again, you have to have biofuels fuel plantations that replace food plantations. And, you know, this is one of the things the left, I think, have been completely bamboozled on the climate scare because what ends up happening is if you focus on reducing CO2, carbon dioxide, which is, you know, plant food, you end up with all kinds of screwy plans which actually hurt the, th- the sorts of things the left say they stand for. A good example is um, in Ontario. Back in 2002, our premier said we were going to lead the world on climate change, which was a bit of a joke because we're only half of 1% of world emissions. <laughs> so we were going to lead the world. And Al Gore came up just recently and congratulated Ontario and everything. So what we did is we closed all our cheap coal stations. We had about a quarter of our electricity from coal. And instead of just cleaning up the stations, which you can do, you can bring in better and better pollution control, they closed them down. And that is one of the main things that led to what they're calling uh, price cancer for electricity in Ontario. Because now the electricity prices in Ontario are 200% higher than they were in 2002. And as I say, that's largely due to getting rid of our cheapest form of power and trying to replace it with these thousands of industrial wind turbines. And some of these turbines, they're incredible. They're like 40 stories high and higher. And, you know, they kill birds and anybody who lives nearby, you don't want to live near them because they produce infrasound, which is a low frequency sound that goes through your walls, through your bones, through your body. It's, it's not healthy to live there. And, of course, anyone who has, in fact, a friend of mine, Shelly Correa, uh, she has a son who has various health troubles. So they moved to the country in a place called West Lincoln, Ontario. It was kind of like Mayberry, you know, <laughs> with Andy Griffith, a very quiet, peaceful place. Well, the government announced they were going to put up industrial wind turbines, you know, something like 60 stories high. And they actually have one now right beside their house. They've taken pictures and shown me. And it's terrible. I mean, they're going to have to move, but nobody wants to buy a house, of course, or very few people would, near an industrial wind turbine. So these wind turbines are a real menace. And the biggest joke is that, you know, China is an exporter of wind turbines. And I was talking to an expert the other day, and they were telling me that apparently a lot of the wind turbines in China are made using coal. <laughs> so whether you reduce CO2 over, <laughs> overall is a good question. I mean, I don't know if there's ever been a life cycle analysis. But the trouble with wind power, of course, is that it's so intermittent that you need to have very reliable backup power. And, you know, a professor friend of mine who was previously at the University of Connecticut, a physics professor, he was showing that, in fact, if you bring wind turbines into a grid that is mostly coal-fired, you can't really close down much of the coal-fired power because you need them for backups when the wind is too strong because that would break the turbine, so they have to feather the blades, or when the wind isn't strong enough to turn the blades. So you need to have these coal stations on idle in the background. But when they're on idle, they're very inefficient, and they produce a lot of pollution. It, and, and so you have to start them up and turn them down, start them up. It's kind of like driving your car down the highway going first 60 miles an hour, then 10, then 40, then 60, then zero. <laughs> you know, your gas mileage would be terrible, and your pollution produced would be great too. So, 
in, in, you know, he was saying to me that, in fact, there may not be any pollution reduction at all bringing in wind turbines into some of these jurisdictions because you have to keep the fossil fuel stations on idle in the background. Now, of course, the big way to solve that is to develop really good batteries so that you can store the power uh, when there's lots of wind and, and use it when there isn't much wind. But battery technology has just not really come along far enough yet for that to be practical, at least not on a big scale. Um, yeah. It was, there, was a time, there was a time when you could not turn on the television without hearing about the vanishing ozone layer. What happened to that subject? Well, that's, again, that's a Dr. Ball subject. He's a specialist on that, and he tells me that the variations in ozone has been a natural thing and that uh, that whole issue is being completely blown out of proportion. He actually testified before a Commons Committee, House of Commons Committee, years ago on it, and, um, you know, the politicians were astounded. But, yeah, as, you know, as far as I can see from his testimony and, and the limited knowledge I have on the ozone layer, that that was really blown out of proportion. You have to remember, there isn't really a hole in the ozone layer. It's just areas where it's thinner. And one of the troubles is, of course, that we've only been monitoring the ozone layer for a short period, I mean, since we've had satellites. So the record is very short. And it's the same thing as with climate. You know, uh, climate is a 30-year average of weather. Well, we've only had satellites up for a little over 30 years. So, in fact, we, only, we don't even have two data points yet for these kinds of measurements, whether it's ozone, uh, you know, over long periods of time, or in the case of climate, because you need 30 years to get a climate uh, figure. So, you know, basically all of our monitoring from space is very new, and so many of these cycles may have been occurring for thousands of years, and we would never know. Uh, it's amazing how they, they dream up this science, this, this phony science, or as uh, Pruitt and EPA calls it, uh, what, is, what do you call it? Oh, I have secret to science. Oh, geez. Yeah, secret, secret science. science. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. You know what he's doing is wonderful. I mean, he's trying to make it transparent, so that when the government uses science to make government policy, that all that science is available for the public and experts and non-experts alike to see and to actually go over and to see if they agree with it or if there's mistakes or whatever. And that's, of course, the way it should have always been. The idea that you have secret science that's used to make public policy, I mean, that doesn't make any sense. And it does suggest that the scientists are not particularly confident about a lot of their policy, or I should say their science that's the underlying the policy. And I think that's what's going to happen with plastics. You know, when a lot of these studies become available to people, they'll see that plastics don't cause a lot of the troubles that we're supposedly told they do. Uh, and people will also see that, you know, the climate data that exists in the real world, you know, the incidence of hurricanes and sea level rise, my God, seven inches in the last century. Well, you know, that's, that's actually quite low in comparison with, let's say, about 8,000 years ago when there was more ice to melt because we were coming out of the Ice Age, that is the glacial part of the Ice Age, and, uh, you know, then the sea level was rising about 10 times faster. So today, it's funny, you know, I was speaking in the U.S. and giving some figures for Rhode Island, and I was saying, you know, even a, even a small state like Rhode Island could probably build a seven-inch high wall given a century. So, you know, people just sort of laugh because, I mean, a lot of these things, the answer, the best answer to concerns about sea level, to concerns about pH and, you know, acidity of the oceans, concerns about temperature, extreme weather, you know, the, the right answer to almost all those things is, so what? 
So what? It's such tiny changes we're talking about. You know, a couple of years ago, they were saying, I think it was 2016, was the hottest year on record. And I don't remember the exact numbers, but they were talking about hundredths of a degree change over previous years when the uncertainty was greater than the change. And I mean, who on earth could care if one year was several hundredths of a degree warmer than others. I mean, and yet that got headlines all over the world. You know, so I mean, a lot of these changes that they get excited about, whether it's sea level or, or ocean, as they say, acidification, you know, they're talking about pH change in the ocean. They say, oh my God, it's a disaster, and they forecast certain changes. But you know, there are parts of the ocean that in the course of a day, changes in its pH more than these forecasts do over many decades. So, I mean, marine organisms adapt. They, they, they do every day. They have to because that's the environment they live in. So in many cases, you know, we wrote an article, Dr. Ball and I, and it was called, So What? <laughs> because if somebody says the Earth's getting warmer, the answer is, so what? It's very small and it's beneficial. If people say sea level's rising, you say yes, and it has for tens of thousands of years, because we're coming out of the, the last glacial period, so what? <laughs> and so, you know, most of, this, most of this stuff is, is really quite comical if you actually look at it and you pin people down. For example, in Ontario here, and this is the article that I wrote in the Toronto Sun, the government's saying we're going to reduce 80 to 90 million metric tons of greenhouse gases per year by 2022. We're going to reduce them that much. And my God, is that ever going to be worth $10 billion sucked out of the economy in 2022. Well, the right answer to that is, so what? What will it do to the climate? Okay, and you probably saw, saw in my article, and I'll tell you the, the numbers here. Patrick Michaels, who's um, a PhD, he's a director of the, uh, the Center for the Study of Science at the Cato Institute. He says, and he wrote me this email, he said, a 90 million metric ton per year reduction will result, between, will result in between one one thousandth and two one-thousandths of a degree less warming by 2100 than if Canada didn't make this great sacrifice. So <laughs> once again, you come up with, so what? So we're encouraging the opposition to say to the minister in the House of Commons, Madam Minister, your program, according to the Parliamentary Budget Office, will take $10 billion out of the Canadian economy, out of the GDP, by, in, in the year 2022, and what will we get? <laughs> and of course the answer is between one and two one thousandths of a degree which you can't even measure so but they're afraid to do that because the climate scare has become sacred almost and our conservatives are much more timid than yours you know which is a shame i mean there's really nobody <laughs> there's nobody on our side of the border practice that is one or two people you know cheryl gallant for example an mp she just voted against the paris accord and that was great but there are very very few of them that will do that yeah, because our President Trump pulled us out of the Paris Accord, the Kyoto uh, Accord, uh, Paris Accord, the Kyoto Treaty, pulled us out of all that. Well, all of this is coming through the UN. It's another form of globalization from what I'm seeing. And uh, oh, yeah. I read an article recently about the last meeting the UN had over global warming. And believe it or not, a lot of people who were running it were out of the Arab world Muslims that were using it as a way to extend the caliphate. And as I'm reading wow. this, I'm going, I can't believe this. It, it, it was absolutely stunning. I wish I had the article in front of me, but I, after I read it, I discarded it. Um, but well, you know, it's, there, it's, there's a Trojan the horse. Yeah, 
there, there's, sorry to interrupt, there's a Trojan horse that people should know about. In Warsaw, just a few years ago, they had the big UN climate meeting, the Conference of the Parties, and they came up with something called the Warsaw, and I can't remember the exact title, but it was concerning what was called loss and damages. In other words, what they're saying is that loss and damages due to extreme weather events like typhoons that might occur in the Philippines are caused by us. And so the West have to pay for loss and damages to compensate these countries. And there's no definition as to how far back in history you could go. So, I mean, this is a Trojan horse. People don't know about this. They know about all kinds of things, like the Green Climate Fund, $100 billion a year that we're supposed to put into it uh, starting shortly, uh, and those sorts of things, which will end up in China, of course, because it's the, can still considered a developing country, even though it puts out twice the emissions of the United States. But that, that sort of thing people know about. But what people don't know about is this Warsaw thing concerning loss and damages. It's bubbling in the background. It's becoming more solid, I see, as the years go by. And so we might be presented with bills for typhoons that occurred in the Philippines a decade ago. And, you know, that price tag could be trillions. I mean, we don't know. And so, yeah, indeed, there's not only a world government drive going on here, because if you control energy, you control the world to a large extent, and you control energy by controlling carbon dioxide, because something like 80% of the world's energy is from from fossil fuels. So a lot of people are saying that, you know, this is the flagship of world governance when you look at Kyoto and things like that, because it's taking away the sovereign powers of nation states and putting it in with a central authority in the United Nations. So there's all kinds of things going on. You know, one people... One thing I've got to tell you, and this is something almost nobody knows, but they, if they read the documents, they'll see it. The Paris Agreement and the Kyoto Protocol and all the UN agreements on climate are based on something called the Framework Convention on Climate Change. That Framework Convention was signed by your first President Bush and our Prime Minister Mulroney and other world leaders in 1992 in Rio. Okay, that was the Rio Earth Summit. And they signed this thing called the Framework Convention on Climate Change. And it basically sets the rules for future climate agreements, such as the Paris Agreement. And what it says, it's, it's not really one treaty. It's really two. Because one treaty, or one half of the treaty, <laughs> deals with developing countries. And China's, as I say, still considered a developing country. And the other half deals with us. What it says on the side of the developing countries is that their first, and this is, these are the exact words, it's Article 4 in the Framework Convention, and this is, as I say, one of the ground rules for the Paris Agreement, so this is going to be applied. It says, the first and overriding priority of developing country parties is poverty alleviation and development, okay? Which makes sense. I mean, they want to pull their people out of poverty and they want to develop. But what, what, you, what, what you realize here is that that's their first and overriding priority, not closing coal stations to stop climate change because India gets something like 70% of their coal, uh, their electricity from coal and China is something like 80% and they're still building stations of course and they want to build more and more because coal is a very cheap form of power but the trouble is of course coal produces a lot of CO2 so if you were really serious about reducing CO2 you'd have to do something about your coal stations maybe have this ridiculous plan to sequester it underground but more likely you just close them down like Ontario did but you can't do that if your first and overriding priority is poverty alleviation and development because then your electricity prices will go way up because you're not using your cheapest form of power so Paris or I should say China and all these countries they can sign the Paris agreement knowing that they have an out clause that they really don't have to do anything 
And that's where people in the West have been completely sucked in. You know, when they were meeting in Peru, one of the reporters cornered the Chinese representative and asked him, are you prepared to change the framework convention? Because, of course, it gives developing countries this preferential treatment, this, this out clause. And the Chinese representative said, no, our purpose is not to change it. Our purpose is to enforce it. And, of course, that's the case. So we in the West, you know, we're fighting blindfolded with our hands tied behind our back because in many cases the politicians don't even know that, sure, the whole world's covered by Paris, at least except the United States, um, but it doesn't matter because the developing countries have an out clause. You know, they've got a deal where they're saying, you know, I'm going to contribute this much to your car unless I don't have the money, in which case I still get your car and I don't have to give you any, any you know, I, I, I don't have to give you any money. So... You know, there's many things like that in these agreements that most people just don't know about. Yeah, it, it's scary because here we are. We're, we're just starting to learn about what's going on behind our backs. And thank God that we do have people out there like Pruitt and like you and like Dr. Ball and like Gregory Wrightstone that are talking about it. You know, this has to be brought out into the open. Uh, another thing I find, uh, they're screaming about global warming, that we're getting warm because of CO2, and yet they're putting up these solar farms. Uh, if, if anything increases the temperature of the earth and reduces areas in which you can farm or can manufacture are these bogus solar farms. Yeah, that's right. And, and not only that, um, they have to use all kinds of special materials to make the solar farms, and you produce a lot of pollution making the materials. And when you have cloudy days or at nighttime, it's just like the wind turbines. They're not regular, uh, reliable sources of electricity. And, and, you know, one of the things, I mean, if you're in the middle of the desert and it's daytime, sure, you can use lots of solar power. But there are not that many cities that are in the middle of the desert that only experience daytime. <laughs> so the bottom line is, once again, it can supplement power. And it's a good thing to do. The best thing about solar is what's called passive solar, okay? Not, not active solar, where you're trying to generate electricity with solar cells, but passive solar, where you have windows that face the south, so you get the benefit of solar energy coming in and warming your rooms. So, I mean, yes, there's lots of ways to use solar power in a passive way. Um, and certainly solar power, you know, contrast to, in contrast to wind power. Wind power is pretty well... Um, a fully mature technology. They're not going to get much more out of it. Whereas solar power, I think there's still a lot more developments ahead of us. So I would encourage people to continue researching solar. But I don't think we're at a point now where it can be a major contributor economically to our power grid. Certainly nothing in competition with coal-fired power, for example. Well, we've got another um, question from your place. fellow Canadian there. I just want to get this question in from Gary uh, Curtis. Curtis, uh, he's saying that CO2 is around 400 parts per million right now. Could we live normally at 2,000? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't think there'd be any problem with that. In fact, in submarines, they have CO2 up to, I think it's 25 times the ambient level. And as far as I've seen, there's, there's no evidence that it's bad for the crew. You know, so I think people can check that out. That would be the best way to see what is an upper limit, because submarines have a an upper limit actually regulated. They can't go above a certain amount. And I believe the upper, I don't know what the upper limit is, but I was reading the other day that something like 25 times ambient level is in submarines. So people can check that out pretty quick on the, on the web. Just look up CO2 levels in submarines, and that'll give you an idea of how high we could go without it presenting any problem. And I'm I'm sure it would be, you know, much many times higher than what we are now. 
Curtis, go ahead. Um, there's been an uptick in then, uh, Tornado Alley. And um, I'm just wondering, do you think this because of just natural weather events or some secret government program to control the weather and population? Yeah, so you're saying there's been a recent outbreak in tornadoes? I haven't been following that. Um, is uptick. that the case? Uptick is more more powerful yeah. F5 well, and F4 it, tornadoes than tornado Is that right? Well, the, the graphs I saw showed that the incidence of powerful tornadoes was going down, that the incidence of weak tornadoes was going up, and I think that might be just due to observation bias, where in the past people weren't necessarily living in regions, so we wouldn't even know they occurred. And, and, you know, that's something really important. I mean, if there was a massive tornado in 1600 in Oklahoma, it may never have been recorded and perhaps never have affected anybody. So one of the things we have to always remember when we hear about new records in things like tornadoes, which are quite quite local, I mean, they're not covering a whole state like a hurricane, is that in the past there may have been many more tornadoes and we would never know because there was nobody with cell phones, certainly nobody in many places living there at all. But the last I saw, the the extreme tornado incidence was going down. That's the last I saw anyway. So you mean CNN got it wrong again? <laughs> Probably so, but you're going to have very you're going to get variations, and it may be that over a short period there's been an increase in extreme tornadoes. I haven't actually seen that story, but the idea that you know we live in a tranquil nature which doesn't cause its own increases and decreases in natural cycles, you know that's simply not true. I mean we have all kinds of cycles throughout nature. The sun, of course, is probably the biggest driver, but we also have El Nino and La Nina and the oceans, you know, that change temperatures and climate. These are cycles that occur everywhere. So to understand if a cycle like a tornado cycle is unusual, you would have to have a lot of records. And, you know, for much of the world, we just don't have that data. I mean, there is an area, for example, half the size of Russia in the far north of the world where they have no temperature sensing stations at all. Okay. The whole of northern Canada in the historical climatological network is represented by one station. Okay, now NASA, it's quite funny, NASA says they have most of the world covered. They show graphs which indicate something like 80% of the world is covered in the northern hemisphere. But what they say in the fine print underneath is this is a graph of all of the world that is within 1,200 kilometers of a sensing station. 1,200 kilometers, and you're considered covered if you have another sensing station somewhere 1,200 miles, 1,200 kilometers away. To, to give people some perspective, 1,200 kilometers is the distance from Ottawa, Canada, to Myrtle Beach in, in South Carolina. So <laughs> those are totally different climate environments. And yet, according to NASA, we would only need to have one temperature sensing station in that whole region, and the area would be considered covered. And people like Dr. Ball point out that the oceans are even worse. He says, essentially, we, have, we basically don't even know now what's happening in temperature of the oceans because we don't have enough sensors. And so, I mean, if you don't know what's really happening on the planet now, then how are you able to put things into the computer models to forecast what it's going to do in the future? You just can't do that. So the first step, the first logical step, in any kind of climate plan, besides helping people adapt to climate change, which of course is always going to happen, so we should help them, but besides that, we have to greatly increase our data collection 
because right now we don't know what the climate and the temperature is, winds and all sorts of things for most of the planet. We just don't know. You know, so that is the first thing we should do. But, you know, it's funny because I just wanted to bring up one thing be- before we end. This is really important for people to know. Um, the United Nations at the Copenhagen Conference wanted half of the billion dollars a day, which is about how much is being spent on climate finance. They wanted half of the money to go to adaptation, which is helping real people today adapt to climate change, however it's caused. And, and that's really valuable because there's no question that as sea level rises in some places uh, and as deserts increase, we need boots on the ground projects to help people build wells and to relocate them, things like that. So those are really valuable projects due to you know, adapting to natural climate variability. But what's happened here is the latest report from the Climate Policy Initiative out of San Francisco, they're the ones that track the climate finance. People can look it up, CPI, Climate Policy Initiative. They think that that billion dollars a day is not enough, by the way. <laughs> but what they find is that 95% of that money is going to try to stop climate change in the future. The people of the world who need help adapting to climate change and the adaptation projects, they only get 5% of the money. And, you know, I think that's a real crime. And I would think that social justice warriors on the left should be quite upset about that. Because what it means is that the people who need help in places like Somalia, where they need help building wells or, or relocating, they generally, you know, they can't get the money as much as they should be able to because most of the money is going to try to stop climate change that may someday happen. So <laughs> it, it doesn't make sense. It's kind of like having your daughter bleeding to death, and instead of helping them with, you know, the immediate crisis, you start looking in the university calendar to find out what courses they should take next year. I, you know, you have to deal with the real problems today. And, and that's where the UN's original plans of a 50-50 split between mitigation and adaptation, they haven't worked out. And, of course, the reason is that the big companies make a lot of money on mitigation projects, whether it's building wind turbines or getting involved in carbon credit trading or whatever. The big money is to be made in mitigation, not the boots-on-the-ground approach helping people adapt. So I would think the left should be appalled at that. But they've been so bamboozled by the climate scare, by these visions of catastrophe that computer models forecast, that they're losing sight of the fact that real people need help now. And, and not just the poor either, because, you know, there was parts of Manhattan that did not lose electricity or, or cable or Internet during Hurricane Sandy. And the reason was that their cables were buried underground. So that's another way to adapt, to actually make your society more robust to climate change and extreme weather. And that's where the focus should be. Well, Tom, it has been a pleasure having you on. Uh, up on the show page is a link to your website, which is client, Climate Science uh, International. People can click on it. I've been putting it up in the chat room. And I'm going to have to have you back on soon. I thank you so okay. much for the hard work you do. Okay, thank you. All right, Tom Harris. Yeah, check out his, his website. It's up on the show page. Click on the link. I'm going to take a quick little break and then bring in our next guest, and we'll be right back in a split second. Listen, guys, I got something special just for my listeners. If you follow me, you know I usually don't hawk products. I stick to the issues important to you and me, but I think I can't keep this to myself. You may want to check this out and get in on the ground floor before everyone else jumps on the bandwagon. Now, this is just for you, my listeners. 
I joined up with Team Earth Water. Earth Water is a company that is faith-based and patriotic. Earth Water is an amazing water. It will soon be the rage of the nation and is going worldwide. It has over 70 antioxidants and minerals. It's good, trust me. I already sleep better. I dropped one of my prescriptions, and I'm possibly looking to maybe drop another one soon. So ask yourself, do you want to make a few extra bucks on the side while getting healthier? Who doesn't? So if so, check out the Earth Water link on my homepage at Southern Sense. That's the name of the show. Put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. Who doesn't want to make some easy money? You'll earn a 10% commission on what you sell, and they even set up a web page for you to sell from. How easier can that be? Every time a customer returns to your page and buys, boom, you just earned an easy 10% commission. Sign up now. Buy at least a case, and let me know what you think just by going to my webpage. That's the name of the show, Southern Sense. Put a dash in the middle southern-sense.com. They offer four tiers for affiliates, from one case to 16 cases. I bought four cases to start, and boy, am I hooked on the water. Simply go to my webpage, click on the Earth Water link on the page, and join Team Earth Water. Go to Southern Sense and become a member of my site, and you'll also be entered to win the latest book offer if you become a member of my site. That's the name of the show, Southern Sense. Put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. Check it out. I know you'll be pleased. All right, and we're back. Let's bring on our next guest. I believe they're sitting there quietly in on the line. And welcome to Film and Ann McAleer. Good afternoon. Hello? Hello? Can you hear me, Curtis? I can hear you. All right. So I've got on area code 239. You're on the air live. To whom am I speaking? All right. I guess that's not our guest. I guess it's not our guest. If it is, I'm muting them, and we'll just see what happens here. Uh, If it is, film and Anne, just please press 1 on your keypad, on your dial pad, and I'll know it's you, and I'll bring you on live. Okay, I guess that's not our guest. Anyway, um, Gary was asking if the earth water contains C60. They don't tell me specifically what is inside here. They just say it's natural hydration, natural minerals, natural electrolytes, organic, gluten-free, vegan, no carbohydrates, no sugar, no artificial flavors, no dyes, no sweeteners, no preservatives, no chemicals, no calories. And California Cash Fund, as well as in Maine, uh, Hawaii, New York, Oregon, Vermont, Connecticut, uh, Delaware is five cents, and Michigan is ten cents. It's BPA free, made in the USA. So best served chilled. It re- rehydrate, replenish, recover, and it's a cool looking bottle. It really is really cool looking bottle. Anyway, Curtis, we're just going to have to ad lib until our guests call in. Hopefully, that will be soon. Yeah, we got. <laughs> anyway, we got plenty to talk about, oh, especially man. with the North Korea, you know, uh, meeting. It looks like it may be on again. 
You never know. Hmm. Well, I would say that. Um, I would say that Trump's the left done. couldn't wait to pump on Trump over this. No, no, they couldn't. He threw the gauntlet down. He said, he did a really great you know, public announcement, sent a letter over to them and said, well, I'm sorry that this is the way it goes. It's detrimental to both sides. It's detrimental to the world. And he's forcing little Kim to come to the table. And it looks like that, that will happen one way or another. And Trump is just saying, hey, <laughs> we're going to, we're just going to keep on trying to get you to the table. And if you, you want to, look good in the world, you want the benefits of a possibility of reuniting with South Korea, you're going to have to come to the table. And I'm glad he's doing that. But uh, there's a lot going on. I'm just going to start with my little fillers and start going through some of the stuff that uh, is up in the news. And one of the things is that FBI agents are coming out of the woodwork and they're saying, hey, listen, we want to testify before Congress. We want Congress to issue us subpoenas because we want to tell you what is really going on with inside the FBI. If the agents within the FBI itself are willing to come forward and, and um, what do you call it? Um, oh, God, I'm just having a major brain fart again. Uh, what, testify? If they want to, I'm sorry? Testify, Curtis? maybe? Yeah, they, they want to maybe. be issued subpoenas. They want to testify. Um, whistleblower, that's the word I'm thinking of. They want to be whistleblowers blowers against Comey, Mueller, Rosenstein. They want, to, they want to tell everyone what is actually going on inside the FBI, and that's a good thing for us. It's about time that we get a little fresh air in there and get the FBI to, to get its reputation back because there are hardworking men and women over there, but they're, they're being hampered by the bosses. Do we know that Congress is going to um, look into this? They seem kind of slow at Well, time. that's what they're trying to do. That's what it looks like they're trying to do. It looks like Gowdy may get involved in this one and maybe start another investigation. Um, who was the other one? That, uh, was it wasn't Grassley. Oh, geez. I, I can see his face, and I just can't think of his name right now. But sources tell the Daily Caller several FBI agents want congressional subpoenas to testify about the agency's problems. The sources claim there is a demand within the agency to prosecute former Deputy FBI Director Andrew McCabe. They also say the Bureau has become totally politicized. The subpoenas are desired by the FBI agent because it requires Congress to pay for their legal fees and protects them from agency retribution. Many agents in the FBI want Congress to subpoena them, can reveal problems caused by former FBI Director James Comey and former Deputy FBI Director Andrew McCabe, three people in direct contact with active field agents tell the D.C. So it looks like it ain't over. It ain't over. And you know what the... The conversation on climate change is still going on in the chat room, and God bless these guys out there because nothing goes past them. <laughs> nothing. My listeners are some of the best. You know, one of the things I didn't get a chance to bring up with um, with Tom was but, uh, California uh, has a Prop six, uh, Prop sixty eight that is they're trying to put on the ballot, and um, this is by Stephen Frank. And it's titled, A Yes Vote is a Reward for Bad Behavior. 
what does Congressman Tom McClintock think about this expensive boondoggle? Prop 68, fool me once, shame on you. No. This adds about 400 of new debt onto your family's tab that you'll repay in future taxes plus interest. It promises to be used to prepare for droughts. Remember the $5 billion that was supposed to be used on new reservoirs a few years ago? It wasn't. The best way to prepare for droughts is to store water from wet years so that we have it in dry ones. This wastes another $4.1 billion doing anything but that. Do you trust the Confederate state, I love this Confederate state of California, to spend the money as they claim they will? Hint, in the past they have not. They have abused the voters and taxpayers. Time to stop the abuse. No on 68. Well, I want to remind anyone that's in the studio calling in, if you want to join the conversation and talk with us, remember to press 1 on your keypad. So there's, there's, I mean, we can probably do a full two hours on climate change, but there's so much more going on. Um, the NFL, that's another big controversy going on. And I want you to give me your input on this one, because I used to join in on Friday evenings uh working with the captain on his sports station here on BTR. And with everything that's going on with the NFL, I think the owner's answer is not an answer to the NFL. They're telling them, the players, that, okay, if you don't want to stand and pay respect to the flag and to the national anthem, stay in the locker room. That's not an answer. That's still a political statement. You are paid to play football. You are not paid for politics. If I wanted to listen or watch politics, I would turn on a political station. I would listen to a political podcast or something. But I turn on the NFL to watch them play football. I turn on NASCAR to watch them race. I am paying money to watch them play that sport. I'm not paying my money to sit here and listen to their political opinions. You pay money to listen to me. Because that is what you want to listen to, and that is what I'm giving you. But if I were here and if this was a sports station and I'm not giving you sports and I'm giving you political opinion instead of sports, then you should not be paying me. So I turned the TV off last year. After the second game last year, I stopped watching. And this, again, is not an answer. But the players' union is getting involved and saying, we had no word on this one. You know what? You are overpaid anyway. Colin Kaepernick cannot get another job in the NFL, and I doubt if he ever will. And by the time he does get a job in the NFL, if ever, too old and too (laughs) decrepit to play. So they'll stick him in some back office somewhere. But this, again, is not an answer. What's your your opinion, Curtis? Well, I would say that um, that will draw attention to who's not on the field because – they may be protesting, and who knows, the, the people in the locker room might say, well, the guy kind of slipped or he's getting some extra, you know, um, attention because he sprang an ankle the game before, and that's why he's not out on the field. But my understanding is that if they are out on the playing field doing the national anthem or the Pledge of Allegiance or whatever, and they take a knee, they're going to get fined, I think, $20,000. Now, there was one. The team gets fined. One owner the team gets fined. Was, Not the player. The team gets was, fined, which means who pays that right. fine? 
You, you the fan, ended up paying that fine. Well, actually, there was one owner who said he would pay the, the, the fee for any of his players who knew. So, I mean, that's not a solution. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely not. But I think he uh, would run uh, out he, of $20,000. He, he, it's not coming out of his personal pocket. It's coming out of the team. The team pays the fine, not the owner, the team. So they take that franchise and find that franchise, not the individual player. So the individual player is never held responsible for following the rules. So it's the team that pays it. So what happens? It goes back to you, to your ticket price, to the concession stand, to your cost of whatever TV service you're using or however you're watching the game on your smart device or your computer. You pay it. So who are they finding? They are finding the fans. In reality, you think about this. So, again, it's no answer. So you don't see a player up on the field, all right? They're protesting. That is still a protest. That is still a political statement. It should be football and football only, no political statement. I think fans who are Republicans and freedom lovers and um, defenders of freedom of speech you know, the correct way, they will be sophisticated enough to see what's going on, and they'll back away from the NFL again, you know. They'll stop watching it, stop attending the games, and turn in their season tickets. That's what I think, you know. I think we're less sophisticated to know what's going on. Uh, It looks like there was – I just got a message from Phil and Ann's – agent and there's some confusion on their end so I'll get that straightened out and I'll get them back on the show on another date but uh, All right. again I, I say if you see the person not on the field during the, the presentation of the colors and the national anthem that is a political statement and if I'm paying to watch football I want to see football I do not want to see a political statement I will pay for what I want to see that is my choice so my choice would be, again, this year to turn the NFL off. I will. It's as simple as that. Yeah, because I it anyone who is going to watch it is going to support the protest. I didn't watch it at all. You know, I don't watch anything where, you know, there's like that kind of protest or like, you know, um, comedy shows. And I, I stay away from those. Jimmy Kimmel and things like that, you know. It's all too political for my taste. Well, I, I, again, um, I choose what I watch, and I will pay for what I watch. I'm to the point where if I see Law & Order on one of my TVs, I change the channel right away because they have taken up leftist positions on a lot of things. And they've, in some cases, they've made cops look pretty stupid and bad. So I've, I've stopped watching it. I will not even leave my channel on that station if it's on the schedule. Because there are some shows I will watch on the station that carries Law & Order. But as soon as I'm done watching that show, I switch the channel to another one. Because people don't realize that even if you're not watching TV, that little box, that cable that is attached to your TV streaming your service is monitoring what you watch. They know what you watch, when you watch it, and how many times you watch it. So, yes, you are just, being watched through your TV. I just wish that we could just pay for what we want to watch. Not all this all this superfluous stuff that they put on the air. A lot of it I don't agree with, you know, morally. 
and um, you know some other some other things that they uh, they set up now. We have to get their packages or leave it. <laughs> oh, what also people don't realize is that even though the actor did the show, they get royalties for every time someone turns on one of their shows, whatever the percentage is. Say it's like a penny yeah. for each person. But if you put in millions of people watching or millions of people leaving their TVs on that station, they're still getting paid royalties. And that was part of That's the act of union that Ronald Reagan was able to get uh, done. So I'm not wow. going to pay any royalties to people on something I completely disagree with. You know, there are certain comic shows that I do like that have a political bent, like Last Man Standing. Those I enjoy. And I'm sure there are those on the left that have other shows that they may like, like Modern Family. Oh, please, I will never watch that. So, and hey, fine. That's what you want. This is what I want. Then again, if I want football, I want to see football and only football and not a political statement. And the NFL is going to have to understand that. And if more people this year continue to turn them off and more people like me speak out against it, then fine. Maybe one day they may get the hint. When the stadiums are half empty again. Oh, so that's me, right, Bob. Thank ask. you for reminding me. Uh, Bob in the in the chat room just reminded me uh, again. A station I will never watch. Netflix has penned a deal with Obozo and Muschel. Oh yeah. Uh, they penned. Yeah. Former President Barack Obama and his wife Michelle have inked a multi-year deal with Netflix. The streaming service announced on Monday. In a tweet, Netflix said the Obamas will produce films and series, potentially including scripted series, unscripted series, docu-series, documentaries, and features. The former president issued a statement saying, we hope to cultivate, catch this one, uh, propaganda, cultivate and curate the talented, inspiring, creative voices who are able to promote the greater empathy and understanding between peoples and help them share their stories with the entire world. Yet, like, Obama was really uniting in his terms, two terms in office. Really. Yeah. Since leaving <laughs> office in January 2017, the Obamas have taken a number of vacations, but have also done work with their Obama Foundation and the Barack Obama Presidential Center. I mean, has anyone seen the the um, architect rendering for this center? It is one of the fuggliest things you ever want to see. Oh, good Lord. I'm sorry. <laughs> and so Netflix what, what, is wondering why they've got a massive... Uh, <laughs> Massive number of cancellation of subscriptions. <laughs> so people are canceling their Netflix left and right. I think that's hilarious. <laughs> now, what do you think of um, the left turning on another one of their um, their idols, Morgan Freeman, and this, this Me Too uh, uh-huh. movement? Have you heard about that? I, I caught, caught a little bit about that one. Morgan Freeman has been accused by several actresses of inappropriate behavior and conversation on the sets when they were filming. So I don't know exactly what the the whole root of this is. Um, I haven't done a large delve into it, but he's made an apology. Uh, there's one thing where you have a little risque behavior where you may swipe a little, dir- you know, dirty joke with someone. 
but inappropriate touching at something else. I don't know if that occurred. So I'm just going to wait to see what the outcome is. Sometimes this has gotten pushed too far. So if it's pushed too far, then I'll defend him. If it's not, then I will also chastise him too. Yeah, oh, that's a, that's a bad just, joke from Bob in the chat room. <laughs> that's real bad. Now, here's um, one that's going to really, this one's really going to um, pique your interest. Um, Louis Farrakhan recently said that Trump has done more to take on the enemies of black people in America than any other president in history. I'm not, you know, I'm not too um, hip about this um, phraseology that he uses for enemies of black people, but I think the essence of it is of what he's trying to say is that Trump has done more for the black community than any other president, and he's not getting any credit. But, of course, you know, I don't, I don't take this to, to mean that all of a sudden Louis Farrakhan is in the Trump camp but he's always making some kind of political statement and for a reason. But it's just another example that uh, people are starting to uh, see that uh, Trump has done more than even Obama, you know, for the black community. And that information just isn't getting out, you know. No, it, it's Could not. But there's the point where Keen West was saying the very same thing. And there are people that are looking at it and looking at the criticisms put against Trump and uh, saying, wait a minute, where is this coming from? That's that's not what we're seeing. In actuality, we're finding him doing a, a good job in most instances. But uh, And that's where Keen West you know, kept on taking the heat. But God bless the man. I may not agree with everything he says and does. I think he's a pampered child, honestly, most of his behavior. But he, he was mature in his discussions about President Trump and he handled it like a gent. So I can criticize him for some of the things he does, but for this I find absolutely no criticism. And he stood strong. And he stood by what he said. Oh, yeah. Uh, he's a good friend of Trump, well, apparently. Those two go back a, a ways. And there's, well, like this I said, is something you and I... Go ahead. Go ahead, more and more. I'm just saying more and more blacks are becoming more outspoken and and showing their support for this president. And I think that's Mm -hmm. a positive, you know, and I think it's going to be reflected in the midterms. You know, I mean, there are still people who are closet Trump supporters, and sometimes that may skew the poll, you know, takers. And I think that's what happened in 2016. A lot of people said that they were going to vote for Hillary to the pollsters, but in effect, they really were going to um, vote for Trump. They just didn't want to say that. I think so, too, because, you know, I see these bumper stickers on live cars, like uh, Never Trump and things like that, and my husband and I look at each other and go, well, how's that working out for you, huh? (laughs) So. Uh, there are a lot of people that are openly coming out and supporting him. A lot of people are finally realizing that they got to get off the plantation. That it's true, the Democratic Party right. is not helping them at all. So we'll see what happens. I think you know, we've got a whole mess of primaries coming up, uh, going into the midterms. Right. Our primary here in South Carolina is on June 12th. Uh, early voting is going on here in South Carolina already. Uh, but we're going to see 
how it shakes out. This midterm, I don't think we're going to see a blue wave. I think we're going to see a red wave, honestly. Oh, I believe so. And another thing Um, that I like that I'm seeing on TV more and more now, people who carry concealed weapons and they're starting to use it now against the bad guys. And bad guys are ended up on the the wrong end of the, uh, you know, the um, um, pole there. You know, like one just happened at a restaurant. Guy went in there and shot a woman and, and then shot a kid. And a child. And was stopped with mm-hmm. some other people. And um, another customer walked in who had a, you know, concealed weapons permit, and he shot the guy dead. Yeah, so I'm, I'm ab- absolutely. Well, in that vein, you and I discussed this on our last show about this uh, attempt to put some legislation forward, a bipartisan push for gun control. Um, inside sources say that former congressman and liberty champion Ron Paul has uncovered a plot by Senators Marco Rubio, Republican out of Florida, Lindsey Graham, my senator here in South Carolina, to unite with liberal ideologue Dianne Feinstein to push through arguably the most invasive and unconstitutional gun-grabbing scheme in our history. This article is from American National News. The horribly misguided proposal reportedly intends to disarm law-abiding citizens without due process. Under dubiously called red flag or risk protection, risk protection, let's say that correctly, orders, uh, anti-gun zealots could have your firearms confiscated without any of the legal rights afforded to American citizens. Mere accusations would take the place of a legitimate trial. In secret court proceedings where you're pitted against your accuser, activist judge could decide that you pose a significant danger to yourself, someone else, or society. And imagine watching in horror as a SWAT team, armed to the teeth, bashes down your door to seize your legally obtained firearms, despite following all necessary background checks and procedures. It could conceivably cost you tens of thousands in court fees and months to try possibly in vain to convince the court they made a mistake. According to Congressman Paul and mounting irrefutable evidence, progressives and members of Washington's ruling class have tried to seize your guns for years. Now through harmless-sounding red flag and risk protection orders, they think they've discovered the necessary breakthrough. Paul's campaign for liberty is preparing a massive grassroots mobilization to support pro-Second Amendment conservatives and ensure less reliable Republicans currently taking flack from the liberal media and reinvigorating the gun control lobby know where the constituents stand. This is scary, isn't it? It's it is scary. It is, and uh, I'm not surprised that Marco Rubio was involved in this, along with your, your good senator. <laughs> I wonder about. Well, Marco when we were just. Yeah, it, well, we were discussing this on the last show that what actually happens in most cases in states that already have this instituted, the person has no idea that there's a order out against them, that a court has issued an order. They have no idea that someone has made an accusation to a judge, and it could be 
could be completely false. You, there's no way to prove the accusation true or false. You are not presented with it. The only time you find out about it is when you get the knock on the door, a warrant is pre- presented to you, and your firearms are seized. Time you find out about it. And then you have to go through the trouble of trying to get them back. So it, if someone can turn around and say, hey, I didn't like her show. I think she's dangerous. Go to a judge and then have my weapons pulled without my knowing it. It could be an ex-girlfriend or an ex-wife or anyone that can turn around and have a beat with you and say the person's nuts. You know, we we used to fear the IRS the most, and now I think um, they got a little competition from Department of Justice and some of the other agencies, because the, the tactics that they're using, pretty much the same type of tactics that um, Kim Jong-un uses, you know, people like that and, and Putin, you know, we, we talk about them as though they're really bad, but we have agencies here in the federal government that are using similar tactics, you know, against you know, exactly. our people. You know, no, but because the current gun laws on the books are not being enforced, they're going to extremes and trying to remedy the situation with some of these outrageous ideas and plans. You know, you have California that wants to uh, ban certain types of firearms. You've got New York that was saying, oh, you can only have no more than seven bullets. Well, that's going to be fine and Jim Dandy, but what if someone who is coming after me, doesn't care about the law. It's not going to follow the law. MS-13 doesn't follow the law. What does the law mean? Heck, I'm better than the law. Look what's going on in Chicago, which has some of the strictest gun controls. And it's the murder capital of the nation. A gun is is an inanimate object. Right. You get get a bad guy that goes out, shoots people, or or whatever, and who gets the blame? The NRA. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> they had nothing to do with it. But the left, the NRA, NRA, it's their fault. Yeah, and they were blaming the NRA for this last, it. not the school shooting today, but the one previous to it. Um, they were blaming that last school shooting on the NRA. And the NRA shot back and said, hey, listen, if you had followed the training course that we have, we offer, it would have prevented that school shooting from ever happening. So they're out there trying to work to help prevent these shootings, but yet the left is blaming them for the shootings because they support the Second Amendment and open are open. Uh, uh, oh, good Lord, I am having problems with my words today. Our open practice of uh, the Second Amendment is what I'm going to think of. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah. I know what you mean. Uh, well, I got to tell but you, um, I was a little. Uh, well, before coming on air today, I was a little rattled. Uh, sometimes those of you that watch up on Facebook and YouTube see a white cat with black markings on it that comes up in the back of the chair. Her name is Puppy, or Baby Puppy, we call her because she actually runs behind me like a little puppy. Um, I couldn't find her. And for about 20 minutes or so, I'm tearing through the house, and I'm looking everywhere. 
And I thought maybe my stepson had left the door open and she got out or something like that. And I'm freaking out. I'm going to every single hiding place. Because normally if I call her, within a few moments, she's right there at my side. That's why I call her puppy. Because she she acts like, say, here, puppy. And here she comes running. Uh, But she wasn't coming out. And I don't know. I have no idea where she was. And I I am just, I was just crying my eyes out, calling her, calling her, calling my husband on the phone. I was like, honey, I can't find puppy. I, I looked everywhere. Finally, about 20 minutes later, I'm there. I'm just at my wit's end. I'm staring at the ceiling. Go, please, God, make her show up. Like, make her appear. And next thing I know, I look down. And there she's walking around my feet going, what's wrong, Mommy? <laughs> Man. So after, I got kind of really rattled. Because if I lose one of my children, I swear, I, I just, I, I well, go to peace. Oh, jeez, they're my babies, and if I don't see them Where around me, and then? normally, what's that? Where was she at? What'd you say? All that time. I have no idea. I she found a new hiding just place. I just don't know where she was. She found a new one. She found a new one, but God bless. I I grabbed her. I hugged her. And I was crying. <laughs> I got my baby back. <laughs> I'm sorry. I've got six. I've got six cats. I mean, when I met my husband, I had one. And as the years progressed, he seems to manage to find another one to bring home. <laughs> we got six. <laughs> no more. No more. But if any of them went missing on me or if any of them got sick or hurt or something, I, I it's like your own child. I'm sorry. It just, I, call me a softie. Call me a softie. Anyway, talk about softies. Here's another article from American Action News. Uh, the Air Force apologizes for offending liberals with this killer tweet. Um, this is by Staff Sergeant Angelique Perez via Wikimedia Commons. Is liberal outrage culture making it impossible to kill terrorists? That's what many Americans are asking after the U.S. Air Force was forced to apologize for a tweet celebrating a successful air mission against terrorists in Afghanistan. The liberal freakout started Thursday morning when the Air Force's official Twitter account referenced the Yanni or Laurel Internet mine in reporting about a recent operation. Quote, the Taliban forces in Farah City, Afghanistan, would much rather have heard hashtag Yanni or hashtag Laurel than the deafening brrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrr
The Americans are baffled as to why the Air Force apologized. Gee, we took out 300 bad guys, and we're to apologize for that. Why? This is not a good thing. Yep. Why? And because which is so sophisticated and it's unfair that we we have all this technology. It's just unfair, you know, to the rest of the world. That's the way the left looks at it. We are bullied. Oh, man. Sorry, I happen to agree with the original tweet. I'm sure the, the Taliban would have preferred to listen to the hashtag Ghani and hashtag Laurel debate rather than hearing a warthog coming down on their ugly butts. We killed some bad guys, bad guys that have been killing us for quite a long time. Why, why can't we fight back? Why can't we defend our, ourselves? Why can't we take out the enemy? They are an enemy. What part of the word enemy do you not understand, left? Anyway, Sasquatch says he's got a, a crush on a man crush on the warthog. <laughs> so, and Bob is still in the dark about nine eleven. Hey, the enemies Who is? came to our soil. The enemies came to our soil. They attacked us. So now we're taking the war to them. There's nothing wrong with that. That is how you defend freedom. That is how you keep the West free. You don't want them coming back over here and and doing another 9-11, do you? Not me. Mm. Anyway, somebody Uh, posted earlier. uh, You know, there's um, a few that think it was an inside job. I'm sorry. That was not an inside job. I sat there on the couch and I watched the plane fly into the building. There's no no doubt about it. That was an airplane that went into the building. I know the Twin Towers. I've been in them. It's not too far from where uh, uh, my sister-in-law had worked in one of the buildings and the plaza there. She worked with the company over there. She was on her way into work on 9-11, and she saw it happening. She was one of the people that was flying out of the city, getting away from the dust. She was in the building in February of 1993 when it was attacked. Yeah, I mean, you have to wonder what happened to all the people. It was just a conspiracy, and people didn't die. Well, what happened to those people on the planes? That's just like um, Sandy Hook. There, There are people out there that think, Nobody got shot. So what happened to those children? They just disappeared. Well, as a matter of fact, the parents parents of the children in Sandy Hook are suing uh, Alex Jones and the Infowars uh, because of yeah. the conspiracy theory that he's putting out there. You know, I wasn't there, but the grief that you saw in those families was real. Okay. You know, people okay. actually lost kids. So... I'm not going to say that it's a conspiracy. I, and if the parents have had, had to go to the point of actually suing to stop, because you're, you're killing them every, over and over again. That's not right. Leave the parents alone. Leave them alone. Yeah, Alex Jones does a lot of good out there, but this is not one of them. I'm sorry. I'm going to disagree with him on this one. 
And this is the article I was talking about earlier. An incoming NRA chief, which happens to be Ollie North, says its safety program might have prevented deadly Santa Fe high school shooting. Um, on Sunday, TV blamed TV and movie violence and the ADHD drug redolent and a lack of participation in his group's school safety program for the nation's epidemic of school shootings as he pledged to double the size of his organization. Yeah, he has a lot that is right on that one because I, I know I've talked on the show that when they came out with the video games early, you know, the early, early ones, there was one where you actually drove a car over people killing them. And I, I did not like that game. My girlfriend loved it. She said, what's wrong with it? And I says, you think it's okay to run people over? I said, yeah, it's a game, but shouldn't the game be something for good to happen, not bad? You know, you're, you're having fun killing people. So it, now in society, we have become so disposable to each other. It's like that game. They think they're playing a game. I'm sorry. And you've got movies that glorify the bad guy. Um, you've got a new one coming out. Uh, who's in it? Um, oh, uh, I think it's John Travolta is in it. He's making one about uh, a mob boss. Oh, God. Oh, no, John DeRose is still making movies. Yeah. He should retire. He's got a new... There's other stuff that's going to come out about him and his wife uh, dealing with Scientology, and the Scientologists are not going to like it at all. I'm I'm just waiting for it to completely break in the news uh, because I have to do a little more research on this one. But in his movie, he he had it over at Cannes, and it bombed. Because what it did was it glorified the Godfather. Um, oh, good Lord. Why can't I think of the name? Uh, I was in New York. I was a cop at the time he was busted and sent to prison. Um, I'll think was of it, it probably at 2 o'clock in the morning anyway. It, uh, Gotti. It Gotti John Gotti. Yes. Oh, yeah. John the Gotti. Boss, yeah. yeah. The movie because I believe is called Gotti. And John Travolta plays Gotti. And it was panned because it made him look very sympathetic. Now, this is a man that went out there and killed people. He ran drugs. He ran prostitution rings. He ran racket rings. The guy was a criminal. And you make him look good? No. No, I'm sorry. And this is the problem we have with the liberal left. It's okay to make bad look good. Well, yeah, and they look have at what a TV show after TV show after TV show. They're making MS-13 look like a bunch of Boy Scouts. Yeah, yeah. And Bob is correct. Um, Ollie North was a strange pick for the NRA. And I, with my Tea Party group, I have, I got a lot of Marines in my Tea Party group. And if you listen to him talk about Ali North, oh, good Lord. If you read Roger Stone's book, Jeb, uh, and how close Jeb was to Ali North and some of the stuff going on. So I agree. It's a very, very strange pick uh, for someone to represent the NRA. The NRA organization sometimes – I'm sorry? Yeah, I agree with you. I really think it should have been Clint Eastwood. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a better pick. That definitely would have been a far better pick. I can think of a lot of other. 
I can think of a lot of other. Uh, Ted Nugent would have been a perfect pick, I think. <laughs> My crazy uncle Ted, Ted Nugent. They come out with a yeah. one liner and, every time they come after the NRA. <laughs> So, you know, the NRA also sides with the left on some of these things with, you know. Yeah, they do. So sometimes I don't understand. They, 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 yes, they bend to the pressure. And that's why I'm no longer a member. I'm not a member of them anymore uh, because I've seen them do some things which I don't agree with. So we need to get someone into the NRA that is going to be strong leadership that will bring it back to the right and start to peel back some of these over-regulations we have and stop bills like Lindsey Gramnesty's bill here that uh, Ron Paul has exposed. But it's crazy, silly season out there. And, uh, yeah, Bob is right. If you read the book, Jeb, uh, there was something in there about Ali North and drug smuggling in Nicaragua and working with Jeb Bush going south of the border to find places to put up labs. And since uh, Roger Stone has not been sued by the Bush family or by Ali North, then there has to be some truth to it. And the book has been out for a couple of years now. So that's, again, another yeah. reason why I'm curious why they chose him. I mean, why? Because he's a Fox News personality? Probably. I'll thank him for his service, but you can't look past the bad either. I, Talking about looking past the bad, and this is this is funny. Michael Avenatti, that's the um, Stormy Daniels lawyer, and there's a lot of dirt coming out about him. And Anthony Scaramucci may have a TV show together. Um, United Town Agency co-president Jay Sears pitched the show to a pair of cable networks, CNN and MSNBC, the New York Times reported. Now, that would be interesting. <laughs> mm. Can we oh, just get Lord. hit with a $10 million lawsuit? Stormy Daniels' lawyer. I think he got hit with a $10 million lawsuit. Who did? Scaramucci or Avenatti? Um, Stormy Daniels' lawyer. Oh, Avenatti. There's a lot coming out about him. Uh, When he had his company, uh, he had fired his best employee. It was some sort of a coffee company, uh, Barista, I think it was called. And she was his best employee. She always Mm -hmm. had constantly good ratings. And the reason that she was fired, she claims in her court document, this could be the $10 million lawsuit, is that she became pregnant. And once she became pregnant, she was fired. But up until then, there was no cause for complaint, nothing in her employee uh, file. Now, I ran businesses. um, I managed businesses. And I know that if you're going to fire someone, you have to go through a series of steps before you do that. There has to be a, a probable cause for you dismissing that person. Now, for the law firm that I managed, there was a set guidelines in the employee handbook. I had to put something in that employee's folder stating that I was not happy with whatever was going on, or the person was chronically late, or the person failed to perform their duties, all their duties. Um, If they take long lunches, whatever, I had to fill out a form, person down, explain to them what I was putting in their folder and why I was doing that. 
And after the third one, and only after the third one, was I able to fire the person. But I had to show a pattern of behavior on the behalf of the employee. This was not in her, her uh, personnel folder. There was nothing there. If anything, it was all good. So That's true. this may be interesting. Usually, I have when they start documenting you, usually when they start documenting you, you, you're almost on your way out the door because they're coming after you. But like you said, in her case, there was no documentation, so you know there was no just cause to let her go. Yeah, and it looks like uh, Bob in the chat room read the books by uh, by uh, Roger Stone because uh, <laughs> he's putting a lot of the information up in the chat room. Now Sasquatch is asking about Joe Walsh. Joe Walsh is that the guy from America's Most Wanted, whose uh, son was uh, kidnapped and killed? I'm wondering if that's who you were thinking about that ran for president. I think he was the one that one time ran for president. So here's one. We've got about seven and a half minutes left on the show. Here's one just to get everyone's blood boiling up in the chat and listening in. Uh, This was on TeaParty.org. It was actually written by our friend uh, at Gateway uh, Pundit. And the title is Parents Outraged After New York City School Holds a moment of silence for Hamas terrorists. And he writes, a selective New York City public school had the brilliant idea to pause studies last week in remembrance of the Hamas terrorists that were killed at the Israeli-Gaza border. The utter lack of awareness and the disgusting request has shocked students and parents alike as it seems clearly that a public taxpayer-funded school is inserting itself into an anti-Semitic debate. This moment of silence for Hamas terrorists came directly after Michael Oren, the Israeli deputy minister for diplomacy and former ambassador, stated continued criticisms of Israel are helping Hamas terrorists. One can only guess how he'd feel about American school actually taking part in a moment of silence for them. An outraged Jewish father told the New York Post, I am extremely upset because I did not send my child to a New York City public school to pray for Hamas operatives. Another parent stated, I just don't think any school should be promoting a moment of silence for terrorists. What if it was ISIS, Islamic terrorists or in ISIS? No school would be having that over the loudspeaker. It's reported that the New York City public school has a history of left-wing ideology with the school having previously given students permission to leave grounds in protest of Donald Trump's presidential election. Quote, as a Jewish student, I could not see a lot of my Jewish friends get very weird. Oh, I'm sorry. I could see a lot of my Jewish friends get very weird when the moment of silence started, Sophie Steinberg, a junior from Brooklyn, said about Tuesday's tribute. They don't know how to feel. They don't know how to fit into all of this. Steinberg said the contemplative moment was not out of place at Beacon. I think that's Beacon's nature, to not be divisive, but to bring up the things that one wants to talk about, she said. But another student said she had hoped for more discussion surrounding the announcement, which she said seemed to come out of nowhere. I wish there was that conversation afterwards, said Fortune Nabono, a junior from Manhattan. There was no follow-up. Some parents say they've reached out to the principal who has been unresponsive. We support civic engagement and advocacy. I can't talk today. Among students and encourage schools to provide inclusive environments 
where students are able to respectfully discuss current events, a Department of Education spokesman said. This is so wrong. This is absolutely wrong. We know Hamas is a terrorist organization. We know ISIS is a terrorist organization. And to have a moment of silence to honor terrorists that want to attack us, to want to kill us, this is not just morally wrong, it is completely reprehensible. Just what is New York City school district thinking? But then again, it's a completely, completely anti-Semitic movement. And this is how blatant the left has become. They are openly showing how anti-Semitic they are. It's it's unforgivable. Absolutely unforgivable. These guys, if they had an well, opportunity to, um, to make a deal with the devil, they would sell this country down the tube. Those on the left. I believe I, that. Absolutely. Absolutely. But uh, we're down to our last few minutes uh, here. And I want to thank everyone that's been listening in. Um, I'm just trying to think of what we got coming up. I, I know we've got a great show coming up next week. Oh, we've got Bruce Nathan, who's running for governor uh, in um, Florida, your state, Florida. Hopefully he'll be your next governor in Florida. And we've got Ron McDonald coming back. He wrote the book Arlington Anthology. He said he's got some more stories and things um, to share with us. So it's the day after Memorial Day. Yeah. Guys, please, this is this weekend is Memorial Weekend. Remember what the purpose of it is. To remember the brave men and women that have shed their blood, that red stripe in our American flag to represent the loss of life, defending our freedoms. So if you are out there on Memorial Day, take a moment and visit the nearest military cemetery near you and give them thanks. If you see a veteran out there, or if you see a military man or woman, Thank them for their service. Memorial Day should not be a day for barbecue picnics without remembering why we have that day. We have Memorial Day sales, which is great, fine, and Jim Dandy, but what are you doing to actually honor the military men and women out there? So take, keep that in mind as you go about this Memorial Day weekend. And I'll leave you with our closing song, when the role is called up yonder. And I want to remind you also um, to go to our website. It's the name of the show. Put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. Check out Earth Water on the webpage. And if you want to make a couple of bucks on the side, become an affiliate and start peddling it yourself. Uh, I'm telling you, it makes me feel better. I'm sleeping better. Lowered the number of medications I need. And I've got more energy. So until then, I say good night. And God bless, and I leave you with this song, When the Roll is Called Up Yonder.